I am super excited to have with me on today's podcast, Ravinda Bogal and Sky McAlpine, and I am going to hand over the two of them to introduce themselves. Ravinda, over to you. Hi, I'm Ravinda. I'm the uh, founder of Chaconi Restaurant in Marylebone. I'm an author and a journalist. Hi, I'm Skye. I'm a cookery writer, author of two books, A Table in Venice and A Table for Friends. Brilliant. Thank you both for being with us today. I am a huge fan of both of you. And because we are talking about food, to start with, I want to dive straight into your kitchens. Tell me, how would you describe your kitchen? Sky, starting with you. Well, I guess my kitchen is cozy or it feels cozy to me. It's definitely chaotic. Um, <laughs> for me, the kitchen's always been, you know, it's really the the heart of our family life and it's the center of kind of where we live. It's when we, you know, eldest son does his homework, where the baby kind of like hangs out and potters around and wreaks havoc, where I cook and potter. But it's also where, I mean, less last year in 2020, but historically it's where friends and family kind of come and meet together. So it's a real kind of, it's a very social place as well. It's kind of where all my friends come over for supper and we spend time together. I love that. It's fantastic. It's hours sitting at a dinner table from school homework and breakfast to <laughs> exactly. of wine and surrounded there. It's fantastic. I love that. What about you, Ravinda? Okay, so I think uh, my restaurant kitchen is actually luxurious because I've worked in a lot of restaurants where kitchens can be quite pokey. So I was determined when we designed the restaurant that we should give the kitchen a lot of space. And I remember at the time, my business partners sort of talking about, you know, the cost of real estate per square foot and how it should all be covers and not kitchen space. And I really dug my heels in because I wanted uh, room to swing a cat and for my team to be able to stretch out and, um, you know, just have an inspiring, light-filled space to work in. And I was also determined that it shouldn't feel like a, a traditional industrial restaurant kitchen. So one of my favorite things about um, the uh, kitchen is that the path. Um, which is a poured concrete pass. And it takes me right back to growing up in Kenya and the outdoor kitchens that just had sort of poured concrete surfaces. So it, it just connects me to home and it feels um, domestic and maternal. And that's that's what I really love about that space. Wonderful. What a beautiful way of bringing that home culture and a kitchen in a restaurant together. It sounds fabulous. What about at home? Um, at home, it's very the opposite I'm very organized at work but um, much like Sky at home my kitchen is chaotic full of ingredients because I'm always developing um, but I'm very proud of it it's sort of a space of my own in that kind of very Virginia Woolf-esque mood you know it is that place where I can be myself where I can where I can create uh, where I can conquer um, so the kitchen for me feels like a very powerful place to be. You spoke about uh, growing up in Kenya and the kitchens there. Tell me about how food and culture are intertwined for you and does food connect you to your identity? Absolutely. I mean, I think food is culture. That's the point. I think, uh, you know, when you look at immigrants, um, you know, they've had such a positive impact on on 
many things from economics to innovation, but especially food. And I think that this is what I love about great British food, you know, modern British food is that it is so intertwined with all these um, different cultures, different races, all bringing their kind of flair and ideas and ingredients. I love the fact that it's always evolving. I love that that recipes are like stories. Um, you know, they're human stories, actually. They tell us about um, people's situations, people's histories, people's narratives. And I think that's that's why I always love food is not even just about recipes or cooking it's about the human stories beautiful um sky between venice and london is it is, is food and culture very much intertwined for you for me it is i mean i think you know i live i live between the two i grew up in venice um i'm english um as the name sky McAlpine would suggest um <laughs> i'm british i was born in in the uk but my family moved to venice when i was six years old and then i grew up here did was at school here and then kind of for university moved back to the uk and have been between the two ever since and i feel incredibly lucky that you know being between london and venice is kind of two incredibly different worlds and i feel incredibly privileged that for me they collide so my way of cooking and I guess my language of food is a mixed one that has quite a sort of personal meaning you know for me and sort of picking and choosing elements from from both but yes I mean food culture plays a huge you know food culture is endlessly fascinating and here in Italy it's such a source of if not you know, national pride but also kind of regional pride there are so many dishes and um ways of cooking things that are really specific to very tiny ge tiny geographic areas and you know how you make a pasta sauce is very different from in Venice from how it might be in Palermo or in Rome or in Bologna or in any other town in Italy. I'm really intrigued about the process of putting together a menu um, whether it's that's on your home kitchen table or in your wonderful kitchens. Tell me about what you do, what the process is, how do you even start and attack that? Well, um, for me, it's kind of, it's all about kind of working with the kitchen that you have and the space that you have. And also I'm always, I kind of ask myself, how much time have I got? Do you know, is this like a Sunday morning and I'm doing Sunday lunch and all I'm going to do today is just potter around in the kitchen and cook and, and play around? Or actually, am I trying to get supper on the table for a group of friends on a Tuesday night? And I've kind of got a really busy work day and I'm going to have 45 minutes from, from start start to finish so I think it's being realistic about time and access and then um playing with what you've got looking at what's in season um I think also how many people you know one of the topics that I covered in my most recent book a table for friends was really thinking about how many people are you cooking for because what you cook makes you know how easy it's going to be for you to cook make a big difference depending on what you then choose to cook so if I'm doing supper for four people then I might do something like a pasta or even a risotto which you know is quite last minute um, but if I'm doing supper for 10 people or for 12 people then I'll do something like a couple of roast chickens or three roast chickens or a shepherd's pie or something like that that I can put in the oven and just kind of leave and forget about and then if people are late or we're having like a fun time chatting 
you know, in the living room or whatever. Um, it doesn't matter if it kind of spoils. So yeah, there are lots of kind of factors when planning a menu. And then of course, most importantly, it's what you feel like eating. <laughs> Quite important. The time involved, how late, if you're going to be late to the dinner, people, you know, dripping and dropping in, then it's a, it's a wonderful thing to think about. What about in a restaurant environment, Ravinda? Uh, well, for, for, for me, planning the restaurant menu is always uh, has a lot to do with my own greed and what I want to eat too much like Sky. Um, but I really rely on, um, you know, what's in season to, to guide me. Um, so we use, you know, we work with incredible suppliers. Uh, I try and use as many wonderful, sustainable suppliers as possible, people who are looking after the land um to put you know to get amazing ingredients and then it's that ingredient that will inspire me and for us it's very much about our philosophy of cooking across borders how do we translate that into that ingredient and then for me it's always about how something looks how it tastes but also the idea of texture i think is really really important so balancing all of those things to create wonderful dishes that have a, a, a united narrative across your menu. Um, so obviously it's, it's a bit tri- more tricky than, than doing, I don't know, three, three course dinner at home, you know, um, because you're thinking about lots of dishes, um, you know, whether that's six small plates, uh, six large plates, and then three or four desserts, they've all got to be unique, but somehow sit together too. How often do you change your menus? Very, very often. So we've got our signatures that, that stay on all the time, things like the lobster moily uh, which, uh, and the banana cake with miso caramel, which I think they would be a revolt if I took off the menu. Um, but, um, you know, otherwise, every couple of weeks, um, as suppliers introduce me to new ingredients they've got coming through, then I'll just get into the development kitchen and start developing new ideas. And I think I do that both for myself because I get very bored quickly, but also for the team because I just don't want them to get bored of cooking the same thing again and again. And I think they can learn, they can develop. Uh, we have, you know, a really lovely way of working where it's all very collaborative. So I'll develop a dish. We'll all sit down. We'll all taste it together. Everyone will feed back put their input in and and then we we sort of think about how we're going to present that dish together with everybody's ideas um so yeah it's a it's it's a lovely way of doing a menu and having so many people to collaborate with has there been someone in particular or even more than you know several people that have influenced you and your approach to food the most Ravinda it's always been really two people um you know, mainly, but there have been so many. I'm so inspired by everyone around me in the food world, you know, Sky included. I love her style of doing things. Um, You know, some great food writers out there, chefs. If I were to take it all apart, I think it would be my mother and my grandfather. My mother, because she, you know, wrenched me into the kitchen at the age of five because she was very sort of Victorian and really believed, uh, you know, it was like growing up in a Jane Austen novel. She really believed that her daughters needed to be able to cook and sew and do all those feminine arts in order to to marry well. Um, And so, you know, she sort of took me kicking and screaming into the kitchen aged five. And also we lived in this extended family where, 
you know, you needed to be recruited into the kitchen. You needed to be able to to help out just because there were so many mouths to feed. Um, and, you know, I was a very reluctant ap- apprentice, but now looking back, I'm so glad that she taught me those skills, those kind of this way of, um, you know, working with spices, for example, is rather than working like a chef, it's like working with a, like a cook where you have intuition, where you're so attuned, almost like a bloodhound to the sort of steroidal potency of these spices, knowing when to add the next one, knowing when it's cooked, knowing how to use them. Um, I'll forever be grateful to her for that. But then to my grandfather, and and that really is because he was just someone with real appetite, and an appetite and also generosity. And he loved throwing dinner parties. He loved entertaining, and he was so generous. And I just remember I have visions of him sort of sitting at the head of the table, um, you know, kind of mopping his brow and loosening his belt, having eaten so well and just being so happy in it. And I just, there was just something about watching his glee while he was eating and sharing food that I knew that this is something I wanted to do. That's wonderful. And certainly a successful apprentice with many appetites to feed now. I'm sure, Sky, you've uh, you've had you've had many, many appetites who are very satisfied with loosened belts with you as well. Have you had anyone in particular that's been an influence on you? I think very much like Ravinda. I mean, I love cookbooks and there are so many incredible um, food writers and voices that have been a huge influence on me and I've spent hours enjoying reading their books and cooking from them. But I think probably the greatest influence has to be my mother, um, who is a one, she's a, she's a great cook, but more than that, she is a, you know, a wonderful hostess, although I kind of hate that word. But I think from a really young age, she showed me what a joy, food really isn't about the food. um, It's about bringing people together and what huge joy that can bring your life and how much richer your life is with other people in it and how it's just the most there's something about when you sit down to a meal in someone's house and they make you feel welcome it creates a very special bond that even if you've never really met before or you haven't had a chance to get to know each other or your old friends either way it's just this incredible bond and kind of really wonderful way to spend time and to spend your life and to while your life away meal after meal after Mm -hmm. meal um so I think she's probably the greatest um influence or greatest inspiration for 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 cooking for me and quite right there is an absolute true total pleasure in hosting and having people happy sat amongst the table and enjoying your work I guess and and what you what you bring together with the atmosphere along with everything else and that's been such a change in 2020, home entertaining and a, a huge rise in that. Um, Sky, what is your ultimate dinner party dish? Oh, my ultimate dinner party dish. Is there one? <laughs> um, is there just one? Um, I think, I mean, I'd probably just choose a pudding because I have an incredibly sweet tooth. And I also have this conspiracy theory that if you make a really, really scrumptious pudding, you can literally just kind of like serve soup from a tin and shop bought 
bread for the rest of dinner and no one will really care they'll just remember the pudding mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'd probably do something like I mean at the moment I'm completely obsessed with um this this snowy panettone cake which is where you basically take a panettone uh, slightly stale one if, if that's easiest it works really well with slightly stale and then you kind of slice it crossways in free as if you're sort of doing like a sort of layer cake and layer it with whipped cream and mm-hmm. pistachio butter or chocolate hazelnut you know like Nutella or something like that if that's what you have to hand so it's layered with whipped cream and some kind of chocolatey butter and then you top the whole thing with like soft meringue and slightly burn it with a blowtorch so it goes all um chewy and marshmallowy and I kid you not it's just like the yummiest thing mm-hmm. <laughs> eat it sounds <laughs> fine for starter main and dessert that's a three course right there Linda <laughs> um, how did you adapt to the whole home entertaining uh, with restaurants being closed last year oh well there wasn't much entertaining because of social distancing but my hu- husband and I ate very very well I just cook you know and that's different it's different when you're cooking at the restaurant and different when you're cooking at home um, you know, when you're cooking at home, it's sort of less self-conscious in a way. Um, so I cooked a lot. I baked a lot. I made a lot of puddings. And, um, you know, I, like like Sky, I think my dream dinner party or the thing that I love to make uh, more than anything, um, partly because I love to eat it, is a tiramisu. I'm obsessed with tiramisu, good tiramisu. And if I go to an Italian restaurant, you know, even if I'm absolutely full and they have a tiramisu on their menu, I have to have it. Um, I always seem to have a second stomach for puddings. Um, but I am, yeah, I just love tiramisu. And um, there's a, a restaurant in Cortona where I think I became, that's where my obsession with tiramisu started because <laughs> He just serves this. I mean, firstly, the the hospitality at this restaurant is just incredible. It's run by a mother and son. And, you know, nothing is too much for them. If if you can't decide between two pastas, they'll just make you two small portions of both of them. And it's just no trouble. Um, But this tiramisu is just incredible that he makes. It's so light and airy and almost like it has no form. And that's what's beautiful about it. It just sort of slops out into your plate. And I remember uh, being in this restaurant uh, with my husband eating this tiramisu and asking for another portion just because it was so good. And he walked out with the entire bowl of it and just set it at, at our table. And he was like, knock yourselves out. And it was just oh, one of my favorite food memories. And, you know, no one quite makes it like Paolo in, um, in, in Cortona. It's just exceptional. Gosh, between panettones and these wonderful tiramisus, everyone's going to have their mouth watering. <laughs> you started a wonderful concept called Comfort and Joy. Yes. Tell us about that. Um, so Comfort and Joy came about, well, I'd always wanted to have a, a vegetarian delivery service. It was something that I sort of thought that I wanted to do for a long time. Whether it was going to take shape in bricks and mortar or, or delivery, I wasn't sure. But um, I never really had the time to develop it because everything at the restaurant is always so busy. And, and then when the pandemic struck, 
there was this really weird uh, grisly silver lining uh, of having time and I remember just chatting to my husband and I just was like god everything is just so gloomy all everyone needs at the moment is comfort and joy and it just hit us then that this was what you know we wanted to do we'd been cooking for um king's college hospital during the pandemic and one thing that i had committed to um knowing doctors who worked there was that i wanted to cook food at the restaurant but not restaurant food i wanted to cook really really comforting dishes um that that comforted people and uh, and gave them joy but also really international food because when you think about hospitals they are just the most international places yet when you go to a hospital cafe you get fish and chips and it doesn't kind of make sense and i felt that strongly that if at any time now was the time that people needed a taste of home and it is you know that's what's comforting for people a taste of home so whether you're from egypt or palestine or lebanon or wherever you're from india china you should be able to have a taste of that so we we cooked all these very international meals and i think that sort of fed into the idea of comfort and joy so we we launched this this uh, delivery service and it's a meal box it's a complete meal all you have to do is put it into the oven or microwave to heat it up um it's comprised of four separate dishes which we feel balance each other and sit very well together um it's globally inspired it's vegetarian or vegan and um made with really really nutritious ingredients we're working with farmers who are really i mean they were compromises that we just didn't want to make so for example you know we we're cooking with green energy at jikoni um we have been for almost 2 years so all of our energy comes from renewable sources um all of the produce comes from farmers who we know are looking after the land and then for every meal that we sell we donate a meal to a charity that we're working with called nishkam swat who basically provide food for the vulnerable in the UK so it feels it feels really good it feels like a really regenerative positive project to be involved in bringing comfort and joy to kitchens everywhere that's wonderful what a wonderful initiative thank you with no travel um for most of last year sky i want to ask you if you have any advice or tips on how we can bring these tastes and the world of travel into our own kitchens oh well i mean i've on on a personal level one of the silver linings of kind of 2020 and lockdown has as rebinda says in a way having more time and also more time at home and i've really enjoyed rediscovering um a lot of the cookbooks that i'd kind of bought over the years and thought were really beautiful and maybe leafed through and read a little bit but never really had a chance to cook from and having the time to sort of explore new to me flavors and ways of cooking things and through the pages of books um food cultures that are, are different from my own personal or previous personal experience so i definitely think cookbooks sort of on a personal level have been an incredible way of at once kind of providing comfort but also escapism um at a time when it feels like it might be quite nice to have a change of scene <laughs> you both pen beautiful cookbooks treasures um i'd love to know about that process and 
Um, well, uh, it's a long process. <laughs> it has been for me. Um, then my my first book is called um, A Table in Venice, and that was is very much about the home cooking in Venice where I grew up and I wanted to shine a light. I felt that a lot of people, a lot of tourists kind of came to Venice and felt they knew the city and really loved the city, but maybe weren't in love with the food. And I felt that was slightly unfair that maybe it was because they hadn't experienced the really good home cooking that um, I was lucky enough to sort of enjoy growing up and that if you get to have some, spend more time here, you kind of get to know. Um, And then my most recent book a table for friends um is less you know it doesn't have a regional focus it's still largely italian or italian inspired food um but i really became very interested in this idea of not so much what the italians eat but how they eat and this kind of incredible magical way that they have of um kind of having the having a really simple meal and making it feel like a feast making it feel really special and kind of beautiful and memorable but also really relaxed and you'll have none sitting next to a a three-year-old grandchild and you know kind of cross-generational so um a table for friends really is about the the joy of cooking for the people that you love and um my focus for the book was trying to find a way to make that as easy and as simple as possible and as low stress as possible. The idea being that if you just had those few tricks um, that made your life easier, you would enjoy doing it more and you would do it more often. And then, you know, life is, is richer for it. Beautiful. Absolutely. Ravinda. For me, Giacconi came about, you know, because of the restaurant and and sort of this philosophy I have of cooking across borders. And I think it's an extension, really, of the restaurant. So we think about the restaurant Giacconi not just as a restaurant, but as a brand with several arms, you know, Comfort and Joy being one of them. And the book uh, Giacconi, Proudly and Authentic Recipes from an Immigrant Kitchen being another arm. And I think it was, for me, it was, it was a very, very personal book um, because there are a lot of very personal essays in the book about my childhood and growing up um, in, in post-colonial Kenya, about being an immigrant and finding a space for myself in a new country, in a new land. It's about, um, you know, the ache for what we've left behind and the kind of... Um, you know, compromises we make, but also the kind of adaptation uh, of new with new ingredients and coming to terms with being in a new space. And you know, while while you preserve your your heritage and your culture from where you've come from, you also begin to overlay it with with new ideas from your new nation. And I think that's what immigrant food is about. Um, it's about that wonderful hybrid blend that happens and I really wanted to write about that and you know for me I felt that when I came to this country it was it was quite hard um, at the beginning to settle you know I I grew up in an area where there weren't many Indian people um, so I, I felt like an outsider and I felt very much that people had constantly tried to assimilate me into a version of Englishness which was impossible for me to fit into because while I didn't look like that and I my culture was different the way I thought was different my language was different and in a way I think Giacconi 
in all its forms, whether it's a restaurant or the book, has been about me creating a space into which I feel I can finally fit. It's my version of Englishness and the version of many people's Englishness who perhaps don't fit into just that one 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 straight culture. Um, so that's that's kind of what the book is about. So it was it was very emotional writing all those stories and and you know creating those recipes that talk about cost cultures and the stories and the narratives behind those recipes. That's beautiful. And for everyone listening, these are stunning books that you will revisit over and over again, and they will take pride of place in your kitchen. So um, they're worthwhile investments. I would love to ask if you could pick one person to make a dish for. Who would that be and what would you create? Sky. Oh, that's such a tricky one. Just the one person. Um, um, I... <laughs> I would happily well, eat at your table anytime. <laughs> I think it should be Ravinda. We've been trying to organise supper, I think, <laughs> 2018. So, <laughs> um, I go with that. And <laughs> coming a... to Venice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, she did pick me. Lucky me. Sorry, Sky. Um, I just sort of invited myself. Um, I think it's it's a, such a tricky one. There are so many people I want to cook for um, and love cooking for. And I think in a way, I've sort of created that fantasy already at Jikoni because we started a series called Civilized Sundays where we were inviting people who we felt had shared values with us, those values of diversity and pluralism, um, but who are also cultural leaders. And so what what I started doing was inviting people to give talks um, or read from their books or do whatever it is that they're known for. And um, I was creating menus that basically told the story of these people's lives so we had incredible people like William Dalrymple and Nitin Soni and all these incredible people. And we were just about to um, have uh, an evening with Salman Rushdie, which I was so excited about because he's had such an interesting life. And I love his books and I love his writing. And to be able to create a menu about not just his life, but his you know, what, things that represent chapters in his book or passages in his books was really exciting. The menu had completely been, you know, already done and tested. And then, of course, we were hit by the pandemic. So uh, we've put that on pause for now. But I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm aching to, to cook that feast for him. That sounds sensational. Sky, uh, what would be this one dish that you'd create for this special guest? Oh gosh, Ravinda, what do you like to eat? Um, I don't know. I tell you what, I will make tiramisu because it's probably not as good as Paolo in Cortona's tiramisu, but I am very proud of my tiramisu. And it's actually the first thing that I ever cooked for my husband when we when we first met at university. And I made it because it's a really funny story. He it was sort of like freshers week or sort of week one at university. And I'd arrived from Venice like 
literally kind of barely knowing what a car was um <laughs> and felt quite out of water and he'd you know like very much like a fish out of water and it all felt you know very new and um he had invited me to this house party and his kind of his room in college was in the sort of pink house called the pink house um and he'd invited me you know to a party he was hosting and because I was going to a party I thought I had to bring something and I thought I had to, you know I thought I should cook something and I didn't have access to a kitchen but I knew that tiramisu obviously all the ingredients are raw so I literally kind of whisked the eggs over the sink um, in my bedroom and kind of got coffee I went to Pret-a-Manger and they kind of made an espresso you know a big cup of espresso for me and I kind of made the tiramisu and I turned up and I turned up at the party and literally everyone else had bought kind of like beer or cheap wine and there I was with my kind of massive tray of tiramisu but anyway he liked it and I'm very proud of my tiramisu so I would love to make it for Reventa how lovely that's such a gorgeous story it's a very silly story <laughs> but I love tiramisu too I have to say you're right it is there's always room for tiramisu <laughs> always and it's such a light pudding you know all those calories yet it's like a you know like a wolf in sheep's clothing <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah it's only what how is it they say only wafer fin <laughs> yeah exactly delicious I look forward to that I'm holding you to it <laughs> me too. <laughs> food being the foundation of romance. That's wonderful. Is there anyone that's exciting you in the world of food right now? Oh, gosh, who's not exciting me in the world of food? I mean, there's so many incredible voices. Um, I mean, I, Ravinda's book is so beautiful beyond the words and the images and the story and the, the message behind it. It's just incredibly moving and really beautiful. Um I who do I love Rachel Roddy's books I'm really excited she's got a new book coming out soon I think next year or later this year I'm not sure called the A to Z kind of an alphabet guide to pasta which I think will be wonderful um I recently got given a beautiful book um called In the Kitchen I don't know Ravindra if you've seen that as well it's a collection of yeah essays and there's a brilliant the George one yeah it's brilliant yeah exactly really brilliant and really beautiful and uh Rachel Roddy has an essay in there about um cookers you know kind of the cookers and how they've shaped her life and that's a great story I read that one it's brilliant really brilliant so I'm really excited about her next book and I love her old books and I also really have been revisiting a lot of kind of old voices uh, you know from the 70s and 80s and earlier um in uh Jocasta Ines the pauper's cookbook I've rediscovered recently and I adore um and is really brilliant Arabella Box's book um well she has lots of books but first slice the cookbook um is the one that I'm thinking of and that I love most and there's probably quite a sort of big point of inspiration for a table for friends um and then you know old favorites like um all the river cafe books 
and all Sky Gindral's books, particularly uh, Why How I Cook. I love that by Sky Gindral. I think that's one of my all-time favorite cookbooks. So yeah, I mean, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> We're so fortunate to be part of such an exciting and evolving um, industry. Things never get boring. Um, but there are some wonderful, you know, I, I love to read and I just, you know, love books that you can really sit, uh, cookery books that you can really sit and read or essays about food. Um, so I really enjoyed in particular, I love um, books that teach you about cultures that you don't really know about or aren't familiar with. So I really enjoyed um, Yamisi Aribasala's Long Throat Memoirs which is about um, Nigerian cooking and Nigerian food and life in Nigeria. Um, just such a brilliant, evocative read and so funny as well. So that's that's one I really enjoyed. And it taught me so much about Nigerian culture um, that I didn't know. And then, you know, Olya Hercules and everything she's done with her books uh, and her new book, Summer Kitchens, and, you know, part of the reason I really love Summer Kitchens is because there are so many differences between my culture as an East African Indian and her culture as, as a Ukrainian. You know, so much disparity, like so much difference. But there are so many similarities too. this idea of preserving and pickling and summer kitchens, outdoor kitchens. I grew up with all of that. So it's so relatable for me. So I, f I found reading that this year really, really wonderful too. Talking about traveling through these wonderful cookbooks, where would you travel for food? I'd travel pretty much anywhere for food. It's quite a poor reflection on my character that our holidays are largely planned about round kind of where I would like to eat and what I would like to eat. <laughs> That's often the case. You'll, you'll book somewhere and then you'll confirm your reservations and where you're going to eat and everything kind of falls in place around that. <laughs> yeah. You're part of it. Um, any favourite destinations for eating? I mean, last year, I mean, Italy, I, I know it's, you know, it's home for me in many ways. But one of the things that I find so endlessly fascinating about Italy and Italian food is how much it changes region to region and town to town. So it's almost like, at least from a culinary perspective, it is like traveling to a new country. Um, when you go to Sicily, or when you go to Puglia, or when you go to Umbria or Tuscany or wherever it is. Um, so uh, last year, we went on holiday, I hadn't been to the Amalfi Coast. I mean, to my shame I hadn't been before and we went there and we stayed in this kind of in a couple of rooms um like small rooms above this incredible family-run restaurant called Lo Scoglio in this tiny town called Nerano and it's like a really simple restaurant right on the sea it's sort of a pontoon on the water and it's family-run so the father grows all the produce in the garden and then his wife runs the front desk and his two daughters run the restaurant and his son cooks in the kitchen and I kid you not it's the most incredible food I think I've ever had anywhere I mean their pasta con le zucchine I don't know what they do to the zucchine but it was just like eating kind of I, I mean still waxing lyrical about it my sons and I kind of we, we would sit down to dinner and we'll just reminisce over the pasta le zucchine from <laughs> that summer holiday so that that was that's incredible um but anywhere you know that that's what I love about new places is 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 
exploring them through food I think it's it's a really great shortcut um into the spirit of a country or of a place it's a great lens to explore anywhere new through brilliant being food and culture being entirely intertwined back to question one <laughs> Ravinda anywhere that you would dash to for food oh god like much like sky you know uh, give me the promise of food and I will turn up um I there's so many destinations I love for food and similarly I plan my holidays around food and you know obsessively reading menus before I even get to places and you know driving up my appetite um but I love Italy for food you know I have lots of holidays in Italy and Cortona is this place I became a little obsessed with and going to this restaurant called Trattoria Dardano, really, really simple, simple restaurant. But just that, you know, warmth and hospitality and love. Um, but also what Sky talks about, how regional Italy is and how everywhere just has its own spirit and character. But I especially remember being in Cortona and it was May, so it was the season of Lumake or snails. Is that how you say it, Sky Lumarque? That's exactly it. <laughs> um, so I remember being uh, seeing this um, Paolo, whose name is, walking around the streets harvesting snails and just thinking, oh, my goodness. And I was like, I have to eat this. And it was just the most delicious bowl of pasta with snails and little meatballs. Really, really interesting. Um, but the other place that I love to go to for food again and again is India. And I go to Bombay a lot. Um, and there's one place in particular called Sri Thakkar Bhotanlali, which is this really old um, Thali restaurant, which Thalis are like um, meals which are comprised of lots of li little different bits and pieces that keep being filled up as you kind of clear your plate, they'll fill your plate again. But it's all really small, delicate, interesting vegetarian cooking. And I, the last time I was there, I was there in Alfonso mango season. And the way they had cooked using Alfonso mangoes in both sweet and savory dishes to me was just completely mind-blowing and fascinating. And every little thing, every little bite that you had had its own distinct taste and although it was really humble, it felt like a banquet or a feast. Um, and I just, I crave that kind of food. They say, I'm, I'm just, I got lost in listening to you. They always say that you eat with your eyes before your mouth. But here I've got my ears just ringing with all these wonderful dishes. Yeah. And one final question. What would you say is the passport to creating good food? I'd say it's generosity above all. It's about just wanting people to have that moment of pleasure and joy and sharing food. I think that's what it is. I think it's never about the actual food. It's about the people around the table and the generosity of spirit. Well, you have to say, I completely agree with Ravinda. I think it really is, you know, it's not about, it's ironic saying this as a food writer, but it's not about the food. It's about the people and the spirit. And the food is really just an excuse to bring everyone together um, and make it feel a little bit special. Um, I would also add to that as 
maybe in some ways, I think it's about giving yourself a little bit of a break. I think we can, we're sort of brought up with such heavy expectations of what cooking for other people is and needs to be. And this feeling that you kind of need to create something as special or as wonderful as what you might eat in a restaurant. But I think if we can just give ourselves a little bit of a break and accept that there's nothing less special about a delicious plate of pasta or even kind of smoked salmon and scrambled eggs or you know whatever whatever it is you feel like making at home the fact that you've made it at home and that you're sitting in your home to eat it is just special in a different way um and every bit is enjoyable well thank you so much for giving us a break and allowing us to listen to these delicious conversations and the generosity of your time and sharing your stories in this podcast. Where can we all follow you and your glorious food adventures on social media? Pretty much everything I eat is recorded on Instagram with um, uh, sort of uh, totally over the top, but you can find me there and it's just at Sky McAlpine. And um, I'm at Cooking Boots. Brilliant. Everyone must follow and indulge. Thank you both so much for sharing your stories and for your time. Catch up with our past episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And please remember to like and leave a review. 